0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. So anyway, we're in this series. I think today will be the last one. Uh, We're doing on freedom. We're tying it right alongside here with the whole uh, Conquer series that's going along, this God moment in our church. And so we're talking about freedom. And of course, this is not an exhaustive message series on everything there is to know about freedom. There's so much we could talk about that we haven't talked about and that we won't talk about. In fact, I haven't, uh, I haven't gotten into a lot of the tools that we talk about it like Set Free or Inner Healing. I haven't gotten into, there's lots of things and those are all ultra important and ultra necessary and important pieces of the whole freedom journey, but I haven't talked about those in this series. More what I've been trying to do in this series is lay a, is lay a foundation? Is lay a con uh, and and set a context uh, for freedom? And really, kind of answering the question, why is it that some Christians can apply the tools and be radically set free, and other Christians can apply the tools and not be set free? That's kind of the the background question going through this series. As I'm going through this series, is some Christians do the stuff and they go on to set free and they get personal ministry, and they do get radically set free. We see these testimonies, and then other Christians go through those same things, and they don't get set free. And so I've been talking about context and foundations uh, for freedom. And so, so far in the first two weeks, we've looked at three things. We've looked at a hunger and thirst for righteousness, that actually in order to be set free, you must hunger and thirst for righteousness. Only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. We looked at that whole thing. We looked at the the second thing there, that the number one thing uh, people need, that you and I need with God, the number one thing you and I need with God in order to be radically transformed and set free is we need a base. We need a base of secure, loving, grace-filled relationships where there's no masks. Okay? And so we talked about that. And again, for many men, that's a really scary thing. And so we talked about that at length two weeks ago. For many men, that's a, little, that's a very scary thing. They don't know if they want to go that deep in relationships and really take off all the masks. And so that's when you go back to number one, only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness more than they fear taking the steps are going to be set free. And then last week, we talked the whole message about obedience, that it's only within the context. Again, you can get personal ministry and you can go on a set-free retreat and we need to do those things and those tools are absolutely essential in being set free. But if you think that you're just going to come as a lukewarm Christian, I'm going to go to church on a weekend, I'm going to live life for myself, and then I'm going to apply these little tools over here and be set free, that's not how it works. It's in the context of an obedient life. In the context of a life where you are saying yes to the promptings of the Spirit in your life, it's in the context of an obedient life that the power of the Spirit flows through us to set us free. Really important. Today I want to talk about a fourth thing. And again, I will just stress again, these are not the only four things we could talk about in a series on freedom. It's just the only four things I want to talk about in this series, okay? Um, but today I want to talk about a fourth thing, and that is renewing your mind. And this one is absolutely essential in partnership with hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In partnership with, uh, with uh, you know you know, building these masks off kind of relationships and in partnership with a life of obedience, renewing your mind is an absolutely essential, powerful, and it's not a one-stop shop. See, one of the reasons I haven't touched on the tools is uh, sometimes lazy Christians gravitate to tools. So I don't really want to give my whole life to Jesus. I don't really want to sacrifice my life for Jesus. I just want to apply a tool. I just want to go to a conference. I want to go on a retreat and I want to be set free. And that's not how it works. And renewing your mind is another thing that's not something you just do once it's not just watching a video or reading a book renewing your mind is a lifestyle a life of investment that married with a life of obedience and relationship is radical in the amount of power that can be released in your life and there isn't a single bondage that i 100 percent believe it there isn't a single bondage sitting here today that can't be utterly utterly dissolved and you set free of and broken down in the context of a life obedient with relationship, and that is where there is the renewing of the mind taking place. So let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, all of the power in the universe is at your fingertips. And there isn't a single problem sitting here this morning that you can't utterly smash down. There isn't a marriage problem. There isn't a kid problem There isn't an addiction, there isn't a financial or business problem sitting here today that you can't utterly transform and deliver. And I believe that with all my heart, but Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us the motivation, that you would give us the motivation to radically change our lives from self-centered lives to obedient renewal lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I really believe that, and at the end of this message, we're going to get extremely practical. And I really believe that any person here today who hungers and thirsts for righteousness and is willing to go for it with Jesus and do what his word says, I really believe that in the coming years, you will see amazing things in your lives. And I want to start in Romans chapter 12, 1 to 2. And we touched on this passage earlier in the year when we were working our way through Romans. And we actually, we didn't just touch on it. We, we preached a whole couple of messages on Romans 12. But I want to start in verses 1 and 2 again. Powerful passage. And then we'll go everywhere else that we need to go for this message on renewing your mind. But anyway, Romans 12 verse 1 says this. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Just we just stop there for a moment, but be transformed. That's what we all want. Those who are here this morning and you have huge bondages or addictions, ruts, sinful habits in your life that you can't let go of, this is what you want. You want to be transformed. Those of us who aren't in bondage even, this is what we want. Because even if you're not in bondage, to be transformed, this is what we want. We want to be made more like Christ. We want to be more filled with joy. We want to be more filled with the Spirit. We want to be more filled with peace. We want to be more filled with faith. Be transformed. There isn't anyone here today who doesn't want to be transformed. I think many of us here today have maybe lost hope that it's possible. But Paul wouldn't tell us to be transformed if it wasn't possible. And so he says, be transformed. And now he tells us how, by. So, so far in this series, we've looked at three things. Now Paul's going to show us a fourth thing be transformed by something, by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, before we go any further, I want you to notice again, really important. We're going to touch a little bit in review last week, just for a little bit here at the beginning of this message. Because I want you to see in this passage again, there is a context for transformation. There is a context. Renewal is not just, I watch a DVD series, I read a book, I learn some facts, and boom, I'm transformed. I want you to notice there's a context. If we go to verse 1... It's in the context of, second line there, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, a lukewarm Christian, you just want to come to church and believe in Jesus and then kind of live life for yourself and live it for the world and then, okay, renew my mind, I'm going to be transformed. I'm going to watch a video, I'm going to to read some books, I'm going to listen to some good teaching and I'll be transformed. No, 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 no transformation and renewal of the mind, transformation only occurs when the renewing of the mind happens in the context of a life that is a living sacrifice. It's only in the context of a life where I have, there's an orientation of my life. I'm not perfect, but it's in the orientation of a life that this life isn't for me. I'm not here on this earth for me. I'm here on this life On this earth for Jesus, and I'm serving, and you can see it in my time, and in my money, and in my energy, and what I do. You can see it in my life that my life is Christ's, and I'm living for Him. And in the context of a living sacrifice life, I'm not living for myself. I'm living for Jesus. In the context of an obedient, serving, you know, sacrificial lifestyle, when I renew my mind, I can be radically. In unbelievably transform now the reason why is this that it has why is it that we can't just do it by a little bit of learning like wouldn't it be nice actually wouldn't it be nice if we could just read a book like if you're struggling with anger you could just read a book about anger and be transformed would that be nice some of you on it would be nice for me anyway I would like it you know you have a problem with lust read a book about lust watch a video series done it would be nice. Let me tell you why it doesn't work. See, when you learn facts, those facts only go into the logical level, the left side of your brain. And that's good. We need to do that. We need to learn information. Uh, Information is often the first step towards transformation, but it doesn't equal transformation. And the reason is because your behavior isn't rooted in the logical part of your brain. When you sin, it's not like you're in the logical part of your brain going, I should say some terrible things to my spouse now in anger. And then you say them out of the logical part of your brain. You don't do that. I mean, if your logical brain was in control, you would say, I don't want to say those things to my wife. You know, it's not the logical part of your brain that says, let's go on the internet at night and do something that's going to destroy my marriage and, and look at terrible pictures. That's not the logical part of your brain. The logical part of your brain says, what are you doing? But your behavior doesn't come out of the logical part of your brain. See, it comes out of a much deeper part of your brain, of your soul, of your heart. That's where your desires are, and your dreams, and your hurts, and your wounds, and your insecurities. That's where your behavior comes out of. It's much deeper than the logical part of your brain. So here's why living sacrifice is so important. To just sit and read a book, or watch a video, or listen to some teaching, and get some facts into your brain. That's a great thing to do. We do need to do that, but it doesn't go deep enough to transform you. It's only in the fires, it's only in the fires of obedience and service, a life that is being stretched by Jesus Christ, I'm going all out for you, it's only in the fires of that kind of a life that the truths get pushed down, past the logical part, down into the parts that impact actually your behavior. Okay, and the the authors of scripture knew this. In, In Hebrew thought, obedience was the key to hearing God and being transformed. Did you know that? As you read in here, Old Testament and New Testament, this is how the Hebrews thought. When they, when they talked about being transformed or hearing God's voice, they didn't tell you, go and take a class and learn how to do it. That's more of a Western thing. And again, it's not bad to take classes and learn things. I'm not against that. But in Hebrew thought, in Jewish thought, in biblical thought, that's not how you learn something. In Jewish thought, in biblical thought, if you want to hear God's voice or you want to learn something, how you learn it and how you hear his voice is through obedience. Let me show you just one example, and there's many in scriptures. Many, many, many. It's, it's the whole scripture, okay? But let me, uh, well, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3 is this famous story. It's Moses talking to God in the burning bush, okay? And in this chapter, I love this chapter because I just so relate with Moses. And in this chapter, God is calling Moses to do something insane. He's a shepherd in the wilderness. Like, do we ever stop to think about this? I want you to walk over to the world's only superpower, that's Egypt, I want you just to walk out of the desert and I want you to go to the world's only superpower. Like this is like some guy, you know, just wandering in the fields here around Steinbach or Blumenort and then God tells him, you know, I want you to walk up to the White House and tell the president, you know, let my people go, whoever those people might be. You know, some snow Canadians, what did Donald Trump call them, snow Mexicans or something. <laughs> let them go, okay? Um, so Moses, I want you to go and tell my And Moses is like, God this doesn't make any sense, okay? It doesn't make a bit of sense. First of all, who am I? Moses has been 40 years a shepherd in the desert. He's got low self-esteem. He's got rejection issues. He has no faith. He doesn't feel the presence of God in his life. He needs lots of inner healing, okay? And so the whole chapter is this argument between Moses and God. God says, you want, you got to go. And Moses says, I can't. You got the wrong guy. Da, 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 da. He has all these reasons, okay? So we pick up the story, verse 11, And Moses is again telling God, I can't do it. So Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, okay? Now, we're going to go to the next verse in just a moment. But what I want you to notice is how does God change Moses? Does he say, you know what, Moses? You need to sit down and learn some theology about my characteristics and about who I am, and you need to learn who you are in Christ, even though Christ hasn't come then yet, but you know what I mean? Like, I need to teach you something. So let's sit down and let me teach you. And again, none of those things is bad. We do need to learn theology. We do learn, need to learn doctrine. We do need, do need to learn our identity in Christ. But I want you to notice, we can go to the next verse, that God does not sit him down and give him a lesson. I want you to notice what God does. God said, but I will be with you. So there's some information, but look at this. And this shall be the sign for you. Here's Moses, how you're going to know that I'm with you. Okay, here we go. That I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, Here's how you're going to know I'm with you. After it's all done, you're going to come and worship me at this mountain. After you obey. This, here, here, Moses, here's how you're going to know I'm with you. Here's how you're going to know you're the right one for the job. After you finish obeying, you're going to survive, and then you're going to know that it was me. After you obey. Now, why does it have to be after? And this is throughout the scriptures. Why is it after that Moses gets the revelation of who? God is, and how present he is, and who he is as a person called by God. I'll tell you why. It's because facts don't change. It's in the fires of obedience, and in the fires of serving, and in the fires of suffering while we serve, that those facts become a part of our very core, our heart, where we feel and desire, which changes our behavior. It's only after obedience that we can really get this stuff which is why freedom is so contingent on obedience, as I said last week. So now if we go back to Romans 12, um, so Dave, you can just put the Romans 12 back, back up there. If we go back to Romans 12, this is why Paul said it's only in the context of a living sacrifice life. You put a lukewarm Christian... Beside a living sacrifice Christian, you put them in the same teaching, you put them in the same set free retreat, you put them in the same personal ministry sessions, one will be radically set free and one will not because information doesn't transform. It's information mixed with obedience and living sacrifice, which is why so many churches in Canada North America and the West are filled with Christians, they are filled up with information, but there's so little transformation, Information does not equal transformation. Information only turns into transformation through obedience and service. Very, very important. And that's, I needed to get that out there before we got to renewing your mind because I don't want anyone to turn renewing your mind into some technique that you think, this is just a little thing. I can keep living however I want and I can be changed. But having said that now, in the context of an obedient life, in the context of a living sacrifice life, The renewal of the mind is one of the most powerful things you can do along with having that base of relationships. And so Paul actually has a lot to say in different parts of his epistles about how, how do we renew our minds? In Romans 12, he just talks a little bit about renewing the mind, but there's other places where he talks about it more in depth. So I want to go back to Romans chapter 8, which I was spending some time meditating. I'm, I'm working on memorizing it right now in the morning, and this morning I was working on it. It's just a wonderful Uh, passage. But anyway, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 8, Paul's going to give us uh, some practical on renewing your mind. And he says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, first thing I want you to notice here is that God will not just drop a renewed mind on your lap. I was going to say, God will not just drop a renewed lap on your mind. But it's, God will not just drop a renewed mind on your lap. See, some Christians actually have this wrong. Some Christians just believe, I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit is automatically renewing my mind. The longer I'm a Christian, he's renewing my mind. Not true. The Holy Spirit does not automatically renew your mind. Look what Paul says here. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You and I play a role. That's a command. There won't be renewing of the mind happening... Unless we make an intentional decision, a choice, an orientation of heart that's gonna require much energy and many little choices, every day, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that there's a choice that we must set. We can't, we could think about other things. We could think about fleshly things, we could think about worldly things, but those who want to have a renewed mind, it doesn't just happen to you by being a Christian. The Holy Spirit doesn't do it to you while you're not looking. He does it to you in partnership with you as you make a decision to set. It's actually going to sometimes be hard. I am going to set my mind on the things of the Spirit as opposed to other things I could set my mind on. Now the question is, what does it mean to set our minds on the things of the Spirit? What are the things of the Spirit? At the end of this message, I'm going to come back to that. It's going to be intensely practical And we're going to look at what does it mean to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. But before we go there, my fear, if I would just go straight to that, my fear is some of you would turn it into legalism. So before we look at what does it mean to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, I first want to look at what does it mean to set your mind on the things of the flesh. Because some of you, when you read this passage, or you hear me uh, begin to preach on this passage, and you're thinking, oh great, I can just see, I can see it, the writing's on the wall, I can see where this message is going, Paul says in order to be a transformed person, you have to have a renewed mind. In order to have a renewed mind, I have to set my mind on the things of the spirit instead of the things in the flesh. And you in your mind think you know what the things of the flesh are. And what you're thinking I'm about to preach is you have to stop doing anything basically that's fun. Because to set your mind on the things of the flesh, that would be things like watching a movie. That obviously watching a movie is not spiritual. That's what we would think. Or following a sport, that's not spiritual, that's of the flesh. So if I want to be transformed, I've got to set my mind on the things of the Spirit. And what are the things of the Spirit? Well, most of us think we know. Uh, To us, the things of the Spirit are things like going to church, that's spiritual. So we're all doing something spiritual right now. Okay? Reading your Bible, that's spiritual. Listening to worship music, that's spiritual. Going to cell and confessing sins, that's spiritual. But, um, But over here, so we've divided, see the thing is, in our Greek way of thinking. See, our Western thought is more rooted in Greek than Hebrew thought. And so we've divided the world up into two big categories, just like the Greeks did. Plato, Aristotle, the whole bunch of them. They divided the world up into two big categories. Spiritual category and things that are not spiritual category. And so in the spiritual category, again, is church, Bible reading, worship, spiritual things, devotions. And in the non-spiritual category, things like watching a movie or, you know, getting excited about a sport or, uh, you know, even work, things like that. And so we divide it up, and then we think, when Paul says, set your mind on things of the Spirit, oh, this means, really, if I want to be transformed, I have to spend the rest of my life praying all the time, only thinking about the Bible, only listening to, do, to teaching and Bible teaching, and I can't spend any time doing regular stuff. But that is not what is in Paul's mind when he says, set your mind on things of the Spirit instead of the things of the flesh. See, in Paul's mind, he had a Hebrew way of thinking, which is God made the world and God made the world good. There's sinful things in the world, but things that aren't sinful, if they're part of God's creation, are all part of his good creation, they're all good in and of themselves. And so it's possible in Hebrew thought, in biblical thought, it's possible for possible. It doesn't always happen. In fact, for many of us, it doesn't happen very often, maybe, but it is possible for everything we do to be spiritual. Everything, not sinful things. Looking at pornography would always be wrong, for example. But it is possible for, like regular earth things, it's possible for everything to be spiritual, okay? And I want to show you this in Scripture, and I, I just love this passage Scripture I'm about to show you. It's not one of my favorites, but it's certainly, it, I always get a chuckle out of it. So Titus chapter 1, and you'll see why in just a moment. Uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 and Paul uh, writes this. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, "Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons." And then, I just love this nice part. This is why I love this passage. And then he says, "And this testimony is true." <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, here we have a, a real bad stereotype of Cretans, and you think Paul would bless. Let's not in, engage in stereotypes. And he says, and this testimony is true. Like, I just imagine if this was, had been said about, you know, Canadians or Americans or Mexicans, I mean, he'd be in a human rights commission. We'd have a whole nation of people in therapy for hurt feelings, okay? And Paul's like, and this testimony is true. But anyway. That's why I love this passage. Anyway, so we keep going. That nothing to really to do with the message. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn their away from the truth. Now look at this. Now this next thing is really deep. I underlined it there. This, this is a very deep theological truth. And I want us to get this. To the pure, all things are pure. To the pure, all things are pure. And But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are pure are defiled. So this is what Paul's saying. It's not about categories of spiritual and unspiritual, it's about the mindset behind what you're doing. A person whose mind is set on the spirit, everything they do is spiritual. A person whose mind is set on the flesh, everything they do is flesh. A person whose mind is set on the spirit They can can sit down and watch a movie, like assuming it's a good movie, but a person whose mind is set on the Spirit, they can sit down and watch a movie and we might think that's an unspiritual thing to do and Jesus is right beside them the entire movie and there's fellowship the whole time. A person whose mind is set on the Spirit can be into a sport and someone else might look at them and say, oh, they're worldly, they're into worldly stuff, but a person whose mind is set on the Spirit, they can be into that sport and it's actually not worldly, it's spiritual and Jesus is beside them the whole time. A person whose mind is set on the spirit can go to work and it can be the least spiritual kind of work you can imagine and their entire workday is an act of worship. And on the flip side, a person whose mind is set on the flesh can open their Bible and read it and maybe they're only reading their Bible to win a debate or to prove someone wrong and the entire everything they did that you would think that was spiritual was flesh and sin and worldliness to God. It's not the thing itself It's the mind and the spirit behind the thing. To the pure, everything is pure. To the unbelieving and to the worldly, everything is unbelieving and worldly, which is why before I get to the practical stuff at the end of this message, I need to drive this home. This is why I refuse to preach a sterile form of legalism. It doesn't come down to us identifying this action is wrong. Well, again, there are sinful actions. Adultery is always a sin. You know, lying, pornography, those are sin. I'm talking about non-sinful actions. It's not up to us to identify, you know, this is not for spiritual and this is not for spiritual. It's not up to that. We have to go deeper than that. We have to go to the heart. Which is why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Starting in verse one, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons to the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Verse three, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Paul said, "There's going to become come people along in, in in the church, and they're going to try and tell you that in order to be spiritual, you've got to get rid of pleasure." and he says it's actually a teaching of demons. And then he says this in verse 4, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, verse 5, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And we'll come back to that, made holy by the word of God in prayer. That's part of the application at the end of this message. So, watching a movie, following a sport, going shopping, none of those things in and of themselves is worldly or fleshly, and none of them is to be rejected if they're received from, with thanksgiving from God. Now, some of you are sitting this message right now and you're going, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. I've never felt so good about one of your messages, Chris. Woo! And it's like this uh, unrestrained hedonism. Let her go. Here we go, right? Okay? Well, I have a caution for you. I have a caution for you because there's this opposite extreme which is called friendship with the world. And uh, James says this. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of, of God. So, that, I mean, that's a very severe statement. So, we got these two extremes. On the one hand, to the pure, all things are pure. And on the other hand, A friend of the world is an enemy of God. It is possible. There are lukewarm Christians out there who believe all the right doctrines and go to church every week and they are actually in their spirits enemies with God. They're utterly friends of the world. And you say, well, what? What's the difference? See, there is a huge difference between loving Jesus and enjoying his gifts and absolutely being consumed with pursuing the gifts and just trying to fit Jesus in here and there. See, there's a difference between my life is centered on Jesus, living sacrifice. Anyone can look at my life and say, this person is a slave of Jesus Christ, and that's what they're here on earth for. And I am, my life is centered on Jesus, and where I can, I fit in some pleasures and enjoy things. There's a huge difference between that kind of a life, that kind of a life to the pure, all things are pure. There's a huge difference between that and a life that is lived entirely for the world, and maybe I can fit in Jesus here or there, two very different things. Very, very different things. Okay? So, really, really important. Now, the question is, wherever we are on this continuum, whether you are a cruise ship passenger kind of Christian, that is, you got saved in order to go to heaven, and your, your main goal the rest of your life is just to enjoy your life, that's a cruise ship passenger Christian. There's a huge difference between a cruise passenger ship Christian and there's a continuum here on the one end is that and then on the other hand we have this what Paul would say we're supposed to be soldiers of Christ. Living sacrifice Christian. So on the one hand end of this continuum we have the lukewarm cruise ship Christian living for themselves fit in Jesus where you can and there's no power there. I don't care what they apply from the messages they hear. There is no power there to be set free or transformed. And on the other end of this continuum, you have living, sacrifice, soldier of Christ, Christians, and there is so much power to be had in their lives. Would they see marriages redeemed? They see kids radically transformed. They see bondages come down. They pray. It doesn't, always, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not magic. But these people, their stories, their life testimonies is just a litany of testimonies and promises. And you go, how come are we serving the same God you're save, serving the same God, but one is a living sacrifice and there's power and one is on a cruise ship and there's no power. And so the question is, we're all in this continuum somewhere. Some of us closer to cruise ship, some maybe to soldier of Christ. None of us is fully over here completely devoted. Okay? Okay. But wherever we are on that continuum between cruise ship and soldier, the big question is, how do we move closer? And you're not going to do it in one day, and God's not condemning you. Wherever you are on that continuum, even to the most cruise ship, self-centered of the Christians, even to you, God's love is fully on you, and he invites you. He says, would you come out of the cruise ship, and would you move towards soldier? And the question is, how do we move? How do we move closer? How do we move from wherever we are on this continuum further this way, and... Again, we come back to Romans 8, and I want to start to make it very practical. We come back to setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. For those who live according to to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, the first thing I want you to notice again is that this is a positive command. This is a positive command. Very important. Paul does not say those who live according to the Spirit don't set their mind on the things of the flesh. And you remember last week I did that little experiment. I got it from the Conquer Course, but I did that experiment with you and I tried to get you not to think about black cats and you're all a bunch of rebels and the more I told you not to, the more you thought about them, right? And the reason is because that's how, that's how our brains work. The more you try not to think about something, the more you'll think about it. So a lot of people on this continuum of cruise ship the soldier they, they recognize and they feel kind of a nagging sense of guilt. I don't have much power in my life. I don't have much fellowship with Jesus. And, and I know I'm more to this side. And they kind of feel guilty about it. And so every once in a while, they'll get convicted in a message. And it's like, I've got to move away from this. So they try not to think about things of the world. And it doesn't work. You don't move in this direction by, try, by spending energy not thinking about this direction. The way you move this direction is let those thoughts be what they're going to be. But there's a positive thing. Don't worry about not thinking certain things. Positively set your mind on something else. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Now this brings us now very practically to what does that mean? What does it mean to set your mind on things of the Spirit? Like it's kind of like every day, what's what's the Spirit doing today? You're trying to sense it. Weird pictures and dreams and things come to your mind and, and you're trying to sense the things of the Spirit. No. Okay? Now of course... Setting your mind on the things of the Spirit will mean actually many things because the Spirit is doing many things and from day to day and and it will be many things. But there's one thing that stands. It's a mountain among all the rest. It is the main thing and without this main thing, it's an intensely practical thing, without setting our mind on this main thing in the Spirit, we'll never get any of the other things of the Spirit. And you say, what is it, practically speaking, that we must set our minds on in order to set our minds on the Spirit? And it is the Word of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus himself, the Son of God, said this, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, you want life? Your physical body needs physical food. I mean, we all need physical food or we're going to die. I mean, I go just a few hours without food and I feel like I'm going to die, right? So I love food and we need food. Jesus says in the same way. Now, we all know this verse. It's so obvious. Yeah, yeah. But we kind of take it as this spiritual allegory kind of thing and it's not really. But do we actually believe this? Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You, spiritually, you cannot live but by the words of God. We feed our spirits on God's words very very important now there's so many passages i wanted to go here and yesterday i was madly cutting things out because this message was far too long but i do want to take a brief look at psalm chapter 19 and in psalm chapter 19 david says this about god's word he says the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul i want you to notice that word there soul i talked to you earlier in this message i said facts can't transform people you can have information without transformation Because it just goes to the logical part of your brain but the Word of God actually has power to go deeper than the logical part of your brain it actually has power to go down and revive the soul the deepest parts of your desires and hurts and insecurities and dreams where your behavior actually comes out of the Word of God has power to revive the soul the testimony he says next of the Lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart so not only does the word of god have the power to revive the soul the deepest parts of your brain the deepest parts of your heart where your behavior comes out of but it actually has power to rejoice to rejoice the heart to make your heart actually come alive okay now here's the problem okay some of you are are reading this right now and again none of us would say this out loud because we all know okay this is god's word it can't be false but again, our behavior will show if we actually believe this. And some of us actually don't believe this. Some of you are sitting there and you're going, this is absolutely, well, you wouldn't consciously think this, but subconsciously, you're subconscious saying, this is absolutely not true. Every time I read the Bible, I fall asleep. Like every time I read the Bible, it is the most boring, dry, hard, worst thing to read. And here we're reading about how it revives the soul and rejoices the heart. It does none of those things for me. Let me tell you why the Word of God does not rejoice our hearts. Now, actually, there's multiple reasons. One could be lack of obedience, and it'll just become hard. The spirit won't make it come alive. Okay, lack of living sacrifice life, all sorts of stuff. But let me tell you another really big reason why the word of God doesn't rejoice our hearts. Okay, and I'll use an analogy. If I sat down and ate an entire bag of Doritos, and I don't mean one of those little bags you get at convenience store. I mean the Costco-sized Dorito bags. Okay. <laughs> My mom always gets those for us because there's so many grandkids at her house. If I, and they're just, they're just sickeningly big, okay? So I don't mind a couple of Doritos, but if you would eat a whole bag of that, 1st well, I'd probably have to be hospitalized, but they're just, if you ate a whole bag of Doritos like that, and right after that, now someone brought out to you really, really good food, it wouldn't matter how good that food was. Like it could be mouth-watering, homemade pizza, or uh, homemade donuts, which also aren't nutritious at all, but it wouldn't matter what it was that they brought out to you, how good, how well-made, how nutritious, they could bring out any feast for you. You finish a Costco-sized bag of Doritos, it's not going to taste good to you, and you're not going to want it. Because your body is completely filled with junk. And if I took my kids, and if we take this analogy a little bit further, I could feed my kids candy bars and candy and chips every day, and they would not argue with me. If I go home today after the service and say, kids, for a month, all you're eating is candy bars and candy, it'll be like, woo! They'll love it. They won't say no to it. And you know what? They'll just eat and eat, eat it and eat it. Their brains will get addicted to that sugar spike, that salt spike, whatever it is that they're getting addicted to, they'll get addicted to it. And they won't want good food. I, I, it's very easy to train their brains not to ever want good food. And the same is true in the spirit. Many of us have spent our entire lives utterly filling our minds with media. I mean, it's colorful, it's pizzazzy, it's moving, it's, whether it be Facebook or headline news or movies, whatever it is, we fill our minds with this stuff. And then we're told at church, I've got to open this book. And this book is totally, completely unlike any of that. It's complete. It's thousands of years old. So you fill your mind Media, 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 media. And it's just flashing and addictive. And you got all these whatever. Stephan knows all the brain stuff. And things are spiking in your brain. And you're just loving it. Spending hours on it. And then, oh yeah, that's right. I got to read my Bible. And you open up this document. And some of these things are, pages are 3,000 years old. And now you read and you're like, what? Come again, Heshbon and Alila Cry out. Their voice is heard as far as Jahaz. Dry right? Like I just, ah, our mind is so filled. We have not trained our souls to eat real food. We filled our minds with junk. We have not trained our souls to eat real food. The fact of the matter is, and many people here also could tell you this experientially, experientially, and I can tell you experientially, that these true, these words here are God's words. They are true. And these things are true. But there may be a lengthy training process to learn to like real food the commandment of the lord he says next is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the lord is clean enduring forever the rules of the lord are true and righteous altogether. in other words spending time in the word of god can actually clean your mind it can actually purify it's a wonderful feeling you don't get that on the internet you don't come away from the internet going wow i feel so clean and pure Woo, so God, I spent three hours on there tonight. Wow, yes, feel good about myself. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. The word of God is the most valuable thing. And apart from relationships and people and God, the word of God is the most valuable thing. And again, all of us would sign off. Well, yeah, I guess technically it says in the Bible. But our behavior shows if we believe this to be true. The word of God is more to be desired even than gold, even much fine gold. It's sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. It is possible for all of us to experience this. It is possible for us all to experience it. In fact, it is God's will for us all to experience this moreover by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward so let's just recap this briefly the word of God will revive the soul it can rejoice the heart it will purify the mind it is better than honey it is more valuable than gold and so we look at all this and we go wow but let me say one more thing it is all of those things but it is not magic it is all of those things but it is not magic Yes, it can revive the soul. Yes, it can rejoice the heart. Yes, it can purify the mind. Yes, it is better than even than the finest gold and all the riches out there. It's better than all of that. But it is not magic. And you say, what do I mean? I say, this is what I mean. To just open it up, some of you go home today and try to prove if this is right or not. You'll just glance across the pages and you'll say, didn't rejoice my heart. You just open it and glance casually across the pages. Didn't revive my soul. Didn't purify my mind. All of those things are true, but it's not magic. You actually have to do something with it. You have to do some very hard work and investment, and you have to get it inside of you. Glancing across these pages will not change anybody's life any more, really, than glancing across the pages of any other book. It's not magic. You have to get it inside of you. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart. I have stored up, I have done some investing, I have done some hard work, and I have stored up your word in my heart. Notice the sin-breaking power that I might not sin against you. The word of God has bondage-breaking power. There's a more popular version that says it this way. The NIV says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not magic. Glancing across these pages will not give you the benefits we read about. It's only when you store it up and you do the work and you drill it down deep and you get it inside your heart that suddenly it comes alive and does everything that it promises it will do. You know, one of the things we're learning in the Conqueror series that is just absolutely amazing, they talk in there about the power of memory work from a brain science perspective. And they show brain scans and different things. But one of the things they talk about in there, absolutely powerful And they talk about what happens when you get scripture verses into your long-term memory. That is, you have remembered these verses for more than six months. It's not you just, you memorize a verse and you had it for a week and then it's totally gone. But you've had it there long enough, you've meditated, you've you've sat on it, you've drilled it down, you've prayed it, and it's been in there for six months or longer. When it gets into your long-term memory... Actually what's happening, and you can, you can see some of these things on brain scans, it's actually changing the neural pathways of your brain. And neural pathways, new ones are, are created around these memory verses. The structure of your brain is literally incorporating the, the word of God into its physical structures. So you actually get neural pathways that become almost like ruts that your thoughts want to go there. And your thoughts are now literally structured around the Word of God and filtered by the Word of God. And it begins to change. Now this just actually blows my mind because David wrote about this like 3,000 years ago. Now they have brain science that yes, it can go into your heart and it can change the way you think and feel. But it is not magic. It doesn't happen just because you glanced across a page. It happened because you ate it and you chewed it and you drilled it down deep and you hid it in your heart and you didn't just make one decision one day, oh, I'll get a little bit into the Word, but you built a lifestyle around the Word of God to eat the Word of God. This will take much time time and energy and investment. I will warn you of that. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. I talked about this verse last week. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You are not going to hide God's word in your heart with five minutes a day. Now, he's not saying literally, again, this doesn't mean you have to think about the Bible 24-7. We have to do other things. But certainly, it's a lot To get God's word into your heart, you're actually going to have to build a lifestyle around getting the word of God into your heart. Look at Joshua 1 verse 8. And by the way, I want you to notice the night and day rhythm. Night and day. See, some of us have gotten habit finally, because we feel guilty, of doing our morning devos. And it's like we get them done and then it's out of the way and we can just get on with life, right? And that's not the lifestyle that gets the word of God into your heart. There's a night and day rhythm where it's you start your day with the Word of God, you end your day with the Word of God, and the Word of God is a part of everything you're thinking and doing. God says this to Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now some of you are sitting here and you're going, that's crazy. In fact, I almost feel crazy preaching this. Because it almost feels a bit hopeless. In today's modern lifestyle, who on earth is going to do this? Who on earth in today's society, we're just living hectic lives with very little margin, filled with media, who is actually going to build a day and night radical rhythm where their brain is centered on the Word of God that it actually can change the neural pathways and you can become a Word of God feeling, loving desiring transformed person who in today's life you know culture in the church will actually do that it seems crazy but you know i've known people to go to the doctor and they live very you know unhealthy lives they're maybe very stressful low margin lives and you know bad diet bad exercise they just can't because it's just they're stressed out in their life it's an unhealthy lifestyle they go to the doctor the doctor tells them you're really unhealthy Okay? And, uh, and then the doctor tells them, you know, you've got to change your lifestyle, you've got to change your diet, you've got to change your exercise. Now, um, then they go home and they make changes. I've seen this happen a week, two weeks, a month, a couple of months, and oftentimes the changes don't stick. And you know why they don't stick? Because it's hard to make radical changes to your life. If it was easy to make radical changes to your life, we would all be making radical changes all the time. But the truth is, we're humans, we get in a rut and we just ride that rut to the end. Hopefully this will take me out somewhere good. So to actually to change your diet, to change your exercise, to build margin into your life, it's actually a very difficult thing, but you know I've witnessed something else. A person gets a heart attack, they just about die, you take them into the hospital and they talk to the doctor and the doctor says, you need to make changes to your diet, you need to exercise, those people who have had the fear of God put into them. And the doctor tells them, you're not going to last another six months unless you radically change your life. I've seen person after person get that kind of a conversation, come home and radically change their life. Now, here's the thing. That proves it was possible for them to change all, the, all along. They just needed to get desperate enough. And the same is true for us Spiritually. The Holy Spirit is our doctor and he says, the lifestyle you're living is radically unhealthy for your mind. That's why you have bondage and no transformation and no power. And Christians around the world see miracles and strongholds come down and crazy answers to prayer. And we don't. Many of us don't. And the Holy Spirit says it's because you're living a radically unhealthy life. And we look at the challenge. So what's it going to take to turn around? You've got to set your mind. It's not going to get dropped in your, in your lap. You've got to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Well, what am I going to do? Psalms tells us, Meditate. Joshua tells us, on the law of God, day and night, it's going to take, instead of my mind revolving around media and social media and everything else, instead of my mind revolving around the stresses of my life and all that sort of stuff, I've got to build a life that has a day and night rhythm centered on the Word of God. And we sit there and we go, many of us don't even have hope. Who can do that? But you know, I get to pray, as part of my job, I get to pray with desperate people quite a bit. People whose marriages are now shot. They've had a bad health diagnosis. Over and over again, I see the same thing. Desperate people make the change, because I tell them, they come and I pray with them and I say, you need to get so into this word that God's promises for you are bigger than the circumstances in your life, so you're not collapsing from the pressure. And desperate people can make the change, which actually means all of us can make the change. So why would we wait for God to have to kick us in the pants to get us going? So this is how I'm going to finish my message. I want to give you three practical steps you can take. This is not about legalism. I told you before this is not about legalism. This is not about earning your salvation. This is not about making God love you more. This is like a doctor from God's word telling you this is what you need to do to get some exercise and health in your spirit, so you can be transformed. First thing is, then this is just from the Bible. It tells us, hide your word in my heart. Wouldn't it be radical if we actually obeyed what it said? That would just be kind of nuts, eh? So what if we would make a memorization plan? What if we made a memorization plan? Where are you going, I can't memorize that's like someone saying because they never did it and they never move anywhere and then the doctor tells me you need to go for a run or something. Well, I can't. Well, yeah, the reason you can't memorize is because you haven't, you haven't trained. Anybody can memorize. Like I'm not, you might think, well, yeah, okay, like, you're good at memorizing. Okay, Chris Pewhatch, he's a bit of a weird guy. He's really amazing at memory work. And he, like, he's amazing at memory work. He, he can just like, basically look at a passage and memorize it. I'm not that guy. You know, Tom, he gets up here, and he has got all kinds of fancy doodads with memorization. He's got his memory palaces, and he's got he programs on his computer, and he, he did different things, and it's amazing. You want, I'm just old-fashioned. When I memorize, this is how I do it. Say the line. Say it over and over and over and over again. Next line. Say it over and over and over and over again. Go back to line one, try and say them together. Okay? It's really just hard work. I talked to a guy last night, really huge guy, his arms are probably about as big as my uh, waist, okay, and uh, like just a huge guy, okay, and I love him, and long hair, some of you already know who I'm talking about, but anyway, and he said to me, I used to not be able to memorize scripture, he said, I just put it to a beat, and he starts going, Psalm 51, he tells me, he starts telling me the whole entire chapter, he's just got it to this, this beat, he said, I've got swaths, so this guy with massive arms has got swaths of scripture memorized, okay, and we can all do it. You know, you find your technique, whatever it is, but you make a plan. When are you going to memorize? Are there, is there a day or two or three in a week when you want to do it? Maybe you want to do it the first 15 minutes of your devos every day. But unless you hide God's word in your heart, it's not magically going to change your life. But if you hide it in your heart, you will find everything in here to be true. You know, the amazing thing is once you start to get the scriptures into you, these words and promises come alive. Uh, I've memorized, those of you who don't know where to start, I put up four psalms that I've memorized over the last few months. Absolutely, I can guarantee, personally guarantee you, you know, it's all the Word of God, so it's all good. I can personally guarantee if you don't know where to start, these are good ones. But for example, in Psalm 34, one of the verses in Psalm 34 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And every time I go over that, I go, eh, amen. Many the afflictions of the righteous. Lots of problems. We all have lots of problems. But it says in the second half of the verse, the Lord delivers him out of them all. You know, that verse has been in my Bible all along. But over the last month and a half, I have said it or I have prayed it. I'll say it out loud when I'm coming to church. I'll say it out loud in the, in the shower. I'll pray it. I've said that verse and prayed that verse dozens of times. And suddenly this verse, it was there the whole time, has become mine. I feel it. It gives me so much faith and hope. Many, I run into a trouble and I go, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him, and sometimes I just say, me out of them all. I've got so many promises in here, and this word has so many promises for you. But you just read, as long as you read it over, it's just there. It's like you don't own it. But you get that thing into you, it becomes yours. There's a faith that rises up. That's my promise. And it begins to change the way you feel and act and think, which brings up the second practical point, and that is pray the scriptures you're memorizing and you're reading. Pray the scripture. Absolutely powerful. Instead of just reading it over and putting it into the left side logical part of your brain, when you pray and memorize, you start to take those things and drive them deep into the feeling right side part of your brain. And those of you who want to learn more about that, there's a fantastic book I recommend it, and probably hundreds of you, uh, because I know many of you did do it, um, went through this book there a year or two ago. But we have it in our, in our library, and it's, there's a whole chapter. Bob Sorge wrote a book, Secrets of the Secret Place. He's got a whole chapter on how to pray the scriptures. It's amazing. So I'd recommend you, you look at that. And then the third thing, um, and this last one, I, I wonder again, and this is not about legalism, but I think this third thing, those of you who do this, I think someday I'm going to get a whole bunch of thank yous. Uh, and I didn't come up with this one. I actually, this is another thing I learned in the Conger course. It's really amazing stuff. But I would challenge you on this third one. Very, very practical is turn off all of your electronics. Screen time off half an hour before bed and try and finish your days in Word. Screen time's off half an hour before bed, finish in Word. It's, I think it's one of the tragedies of our time, I, and I'll say that again, I think it's one of the tragedies of our time that many Christians, the last thoughts of their day, are in front of a screen. I think it's a tragedy that many Christians, the last thoughts before they go to bed... The last thoughts before their brain goes into a rest cycle and tries to recuperate for the next day, the last thoughts are in front of a screen. And their last thoughts are coming off the internet or off of Facebook or off of media of some sort. And our last thoughts, we go to bed with these thoughts from the world. Now, not even mentioning that, you go home today and Google screen time and bedtime. There are scores of studies that have been done that show that looking at an electronic screen within half an hour of bedtime actually destroys your sleep cycles. It tricks your brain, sleep cycles. It gives you a lower quality of sleep. It wakes you up. Which is why many of you, you go and I'm just going to check Facebook quickly on my cell phone or wherever. And then the next thing you know, you're on there one hour, two hours, three hours. And so not only has your quality of sleep gotten worse because that light is actually tricking your body and and wrecking your quality of sleep, but you're also getting less sleep because you're staying up later. What if we turn off our screens half an hour before bed? You could actually, those of you who are married, you could actually talk to your spouse. That would be something. (laughs) And then the last five or ten, fifteen minutes, you open the Word of God. Maybe you do some memory work or you read. Now some of you are going to go again, well, but reading the Bible puts me to sleep. Perfect! Perfect. Perfect. What better way to fall asleep, you know? Isaiah 66. Oh. And your last <laughs> thoughts are in the Word of God. You know, last, last night, true story. Last night, last few minutes, I wanted to get my last few minutes in the Word and uh, I decided to go to my Old Testament. I always have four bookmarks going, so I'm reading four different places of the Bible at once. But I decided to go to my Old Testament reading and it was 1 Chronicles chapter 1. And any, of you, any of you who has been in 1 Chronicles recently... You know that the first few chapters is genealogies, okay? I opened it up, I got halfway through chapter one, it took me about three minutes, and I was fast asleep. <laughs> I had a beautiful sleep, all right? But finish your day in the Word of God without the screen. Let's pray, and we're gonna sing a song of commitment. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, you have given us the prescription empower us. Some here today feel hopeless to be able to set their minds like that. Some here today feel hopeless to radically change their life, life into a day and night rhythm of being centered on the Word of God. But Lord Jesus, it isn't hopeless. And I pray that by your Spirit, you would give us the desperation we need to build this rhythm into our lives so that we can be radically transformed. I pray all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.